Okay. Let's see. What do I need? I need a knife. Okay. Cutting onions. Should I? I'm gonna. Okay. I'm getting the potato water heating while I cut the vegetables. I love pasta. What is not to love? C carbs in a wide variety of shapes. Long and skinny, twirly, little cups for holding sauce. What is what is not to love about pasta? But I recently had an experience that made me realize that maybe I have kind of been taking pasta for granted. So now I'm separating out some of the ham in here. Let's see, let's see if this is a different vibe this way. That is me and Gastro Obscura writer Sam Lynn Summer attempting to prepare a pasta sauce called Sugo Marinetti. It is an experience that made me question what I thought was possible. Not because of the strange combination of ingredients or cooking challenges. Wait, so I, being a Jewish boy from Long Island, you know, I don't know my way around ham that well. But because of what I learned about its namesake, Filippo Marinetti, he was a man on a mission to make sure that none of us would ever eat pasta again. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous pastas. Today, we are talking with Sam Lynn Summer about a truly chilling, sliding doors moment in food history. It's the story of the fascist war on pasta, and its somewhat surprisingly delicious legacy. After this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. For your next vacation spot, check out Texas for their vast landscape of culture, regions, destinations, and activities. Explore 350 miles of coastline and every kind of hiking trail, from strenuous to wheelchair-accessible. Enjoy world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Travel Texas even offers an online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. First off, hi Sam, how are you doing? Hi, Dylan. I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, too. I'm good. Uh, so I already know the answer to this question, but I've got to ask it. Who are you and uh, and what do you what do you do? I am Sam Lynn Summer and I am the Gastro Obscura Editorial Fellow. So I get to write about all types of fun things. By the way, you've been doing really amazing work. So it's been a, a real joy to read your read your pieces, um, including this one. I particularly loved the the piece that we are going to talk about today. First, maybe let me ask you a question. What is your relationship to pasta? 
Well, as a kid, I was really a pasta fiend in that it was the only thing that I would eat. And I would eat it with butter and salt, which was really boring. Um, but as I got older and adventurous and became the weird foodie that now writes for Gastro Obscura, I started getting really into ramen. I started going into, into the noodles of my heritage, um, like just watching mesmerized as like Chinese noodle chefs, like stretch noodles across their fingers. All right. So now that we have established this baseline of noodle, of noodle love, of pasta yes. love, um, we're going to. We're going to have a conversation about a, a fairly controversial moment in pasta history. Yes. Uh, I guess one way to start and get into this is maybe you could tell me about who the Futurists were. The Futurists were a group of Italian artists in the early 1900s. And they thought that tradition, especially Italian tradition, was the enemy of the people and the enemy of all, all that could be accomplished in the future by Italy. And instead they worshiped everything that was starting to, do, to be developed at that time when it came to technology and, uh, and machinery and also things like war and masculinity. Um, so they basically just wanted to take a knife to Italian tradition and like create something completely new out of machinery and smoke and electricity. You wrote this piece about this interesting period in, in pasta history. Maybe you could tell me kind of generally what it was all about. So I was just researching Italian pasta writ large because, as we've spoken about, it's an interest for me. <laughs> yeah. um, and I came across this movement, almost like a conspiracy to destroy pasta in Italy and to abolish pasta, hmm. which for me was First of all, horrifying. <laughs> and second of all, uh, really fascinating. And it turns out that this group of people called the Futurists, a, a group of artists, um, were behind this movement. Pretty much from the start, they had this whole vision about changing Italian society. And I have to say, as much as I didn't like parts of their vision, I agreed with this idea that any revolution starts on the dinner plate. That, that helps you get a sense of what they're about. So in 1909, in this Parisian newspaper, Filippo Marinetti, the, the leader of futurism and also of this war against pasta, published the Futurist Manifesto. All right. I'm going to do, I, I, okay, I have this. I'm going to do this, this manifesto. Um, today, we establish futurism because we want to free this land from its smelly gangrene of professors, archaeologists, Ciceroni, and antiquarians. For too long, Italy has been a dealer in secondhand clothes. We mean to free her from the numberless museums that cover her like so many graveyards. Oof. We will glorify war, the world's only hygiene, militarism, patriotism, the destructive gesture of freedom bringers, beautiful ideas worth dying for, and scorn for women. The scorn for women, the glory of war and militarism, sort are pretty classic fascist, uh, uh, you know, tentpoles. Was Marinetti a fascist? He was, so very fascist. 
reading what they wrote, it's sort of like, it feels to me like they were the, like the aesthetic, like artistic backing to, to what became fascism. He helped found the fascist party actually in Italy and he and Mussolini were, were friends. Why did it, why did, why were they so focused on destroying Italian tradition? So I think at the time in the early 1900s, Italy was struggling to, to get started economically. Mm -hmm. Um, industrialization was happening all over the world and Italy felt so far from its Roman past. I think they were looking to other countries and thinking we need to, we need to get on board with this industrialization, with this technology thing, with this war thing. Yeah. And maybe that'll get us out of this funk. And where does food fit into all of this? Part of it is like, they thought a lot about creating a whole breed of Italian soldiers. They wanted everyone to be part of this like war effort, part of like a war machine. Um, so for them, that meant eating right, for one thing. Mm. Um, but they also, I think, had this maybe broader sense that like food is like the way to the spirit and the soul. So yeah, it was there from the beginning, but it wasn't until maybe 20 years into the futurist movement that they've really thrust into action for food. They've written the Futurist Manifesto in 1909. And then in 1930, they published the Manifesto of Futurist Cooking in um, La, Cu La Cucina Italiana. That was my best Italian pronunciation, okay. which was like the premier Italian food magazine at the time. Though we recognize that great things have been achieved in the past by men who were poorly fed, we assert this truth. What we think or dream or do is determined by what we eat and what we drink. Somewhere in this manifesto, he calls pasta an absurd gastronomic religion, which is like, what a shot across the bow for this is like being published in 1930 in Italy. Like, right. man, right. that's a pretty aggressive stance on something that is a very staple part of food. Yeah. I mean, I'm with it being a gastronomic religion, just not like an absurd one. What else do they do? What are the other kind of, you know, attacks that the futurists make to, to Italian cuisine? They had a lot of different ideas. One of them was that they kind of thought that getting nutrition through food because of advances in science would like no longer be a thing or a necessity. So they thought that we'd be able to get all of our nutrition through pills he actually tried a lot of this stuff out at this place, mm. at a restaurant that he started. It was called the Tavern of the Holy Palate. The Tavern of the Holy Palate. Yes. He's not okay. He's not one to undersell himself. You no. Know? <laughs> no. <laughs> he's got good marketing. I'm not I'm like, that's a good name. Okay, so what, you, what happens at the Tavern of the Holy Palate? So there are these meals that are kind of like AR you know, or something mm. like, like augmented mm. reality vibes. As in like, you're just in this immersive food environment meant to set off a lot of different senses all at once. So what like one, one dinner that I read about involved people in a dining room lined with aluminum and filled with perfume and Wagner was playing in the background. So, you know, <laughs> Wagner's kind of bouncing off of the aluminum walls and there are small plates with little bits of food, like maybe like an olive here, a piece of cheese there. And then on the last plate, which everyone has one of these these little, you know, a set of these plates, the last plate has a textural device that you can just touch, like a like to get like a fuzzy or 
or rubbery feel, whatever it might be. Part of it was that he wanted to come up with new types of food that were completely absurd in a way that like provoked people. So he'd like combine things you wouldn't think would be combined. So he had one well-known dish called excited pig. And it was salami bathed in coffee and cologne. <laughs> which does sound gross. And he was also into using like techno- new technologies in this place too, right? Every, it seemed like everything that people were developing for like science and industry, he wanted to just apply to food. So he used UV lamps to try to cook things. He also used centrifuges to like separate things out. All right, so I'm assuming there's no pasta served at this restaurant. How is Marinetti approaching his his pasta hatred at this point? Um, so in some sense, it's going well. He published this manifesto that calls pasta an absurd gastronomic religion. And he also backs it up. He cites his professor in Naples who said that pasta causes disorders in the pancreas and the liver and that it makes people lazy nostalgic and pessimistic and so he's publishing a lot of stuff maybe real maybe pseudoscientific yeah um and he has a lot of influential artist friends so people are chiming in from all over europe and being like you know what he's right pasta is the devil like pasta is the enemy of of the future so you have like poets and playwrights and stuff um just jumping jumping into the fore there wasn't necessarily an official name for all of the people who hated pasta at that time because they were coming from all over the place and were somewhat numerous. But there was an international association against pasta that was formed in Genoa. The idea that people in the 30s, 20s, and then 30s in Italy are like rallying against pasta is like a crazy, is a crazy idea. How did normal, like, normal Italians feel about this. Right. So as you can imagine, Italians were pissed off. A lot of Italians were pissed off, at least. Um, So people, you know, made all types of public statements against Marinetti. So this became kind of like this public press war. Uh, A group of women in one Italian town joined together and all signed a letter in protest against Marinetti. I'll just say I was reading your story and reading along and and mm-hmm. sort of okay, interesting. Futurists hated pasta. The futurists are such weirdos. Like, and then this thing happens that really took me by surprise. That like I was like, what? This is so wild. So maybe you could. There's a there's a kind of surprise that happens in, in this story you wrote, and I'd love for you to explain how you kind of found out about this surprise. I mean, basically, while I was deep in the internet weeds, trying to understand who the futurists were and why they wanted to destroy pasta, I saw an obscure blog post that had a recipe for something called Marinetti sauce. And it was a sauce that, when I looked a little more closely, was intended to be served over pasta. Hmm. So I was very confused why... Mr. Antipasta himself would have a sauce named after him. Yeah, how does the fascist futurist who started his, uh, the war on pasta end up with a, a pasta sauce named after him? I had to do some digging, and there, there's this, this one Italian blog that writes about historic recipes 
and had an entry on marinetti sauce. I don't speak Italian. So I had to like do all this Google translation and stuff like that. Um, and then if my friend Carlo is listening to this, thank you, Carlo. Um, he's a good friend of mine who's Italian who basically just translated lots of email conversations between me and this woman, um, Samantha Cornavera, who is a scholar of, of Italian food and, and Italian food history and has spent a lot of time in the archives of La Cucina, the same place that Marinetti published the Manifesto of Futures Cooking. So mm. she basically laid out the story for me and how this sauce came to be. So basically in 1932, La Cucina Italiana teamed up with Puritas, which I am probably mispronouncing, um, but they, they teamed up with this big pasta company called Puritas to, to start a contest over who in Italy could make the best sauce to serve over pasta. And tons and tons of people sent in recipes. So like it was everyone from like famous chefs to like home cooks in random parts of Italy. It was, it was actually a really big contest and there's a lot of money on the line. The strange thing about it was that they picked Marinetti as a pasta judge. <laughs> I mean, so does, does Marinetti... Um... I mean, it feels like good drama. Does Marinetti show up? Does he participate? He does participate, but he comes late. He comes like in the middle of all the judging because he couldn't deign to like <laughs> to be on time for all of these hideous pasta lovers, right? Um, and when he gets there, he's willing to try the sauces, but he sticks to his guns and he refuses to taste them over pasta. And instead, he tastes them over rice there's a winning sauce and it's by a chef who's a former royal chef in italy he's like this kind of a big wig in italian food this guy amadeo patini um so amadeo patini comes up with a sauce that is made of tomato anchovies sauteed artichokes ham and chopped pistachios it sounds mm. pretty cool to me it actually sounds kind of like it might be really good you know, lo and behold, he has to come up with a name for the sauce. And he decides to name it Sugo Marinetti or Marinetti <laughs> sauce, which <laughs> you can only guess like the implications and, and, you know, what that meant at that moment. Right. I feel like that name may have come with two very healthy middle fingers up. Uh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did Marinetti uh, succeed in destroying pasta and removing it from the world's cuisine? Thank God, no. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, all of our lives would be radically different, and I would say far less rich if he had won. After World War II, in the sort of economic boom that ended up happening in the, in the middle of the 20th century, that's when pasta became the national dish. So it actually got more popular in like the decades after Marinetti's crusade. Do we know what happened to Marinetti in all of this? What I do know is that in the end, his ties to Mussolini did not help him out in terms of his like national standing. You know, in the long run, I think that really tarnished his legacy. Yeah. For good reason, you know, but um, so I, I think that he kind of started fading more and more into obscurity especially as like the world turned against fascism. 
Sam, this is uh, what a what a fascinating conversation. What a crazy food story, starting with an obscure sauce and ending backwards into this story of of futurism and fascism and the fight over pasta. So, thank you for uh, for taking the time to tell me all about it. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking about it with you. If you want to know more about the sauce that survived Italy's war on pasta, check out Sam's amazing piece on atlasobscure.com. We'll put a link in the show notes. And if you really want to immerse yourself, the article also has a recipe for sugo marinetti. No comment on whether you should blend the ham or not. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. The production team includes Dylan Thuris, Doug Baldinger, Camille Stanley, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire, Gabby Gladney. This episode was sound designed and mixed by Chris Naka. Our technical director is Casey Holford. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the pasta in the world. See you next time. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.